from the 8th chapter of Matthew, verses verses 5 through 13. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed and in terrible distress. And Jesus said to him, I will come and cure him. Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but only speak the word, and he will be cured. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those who were following him, Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, they will come from the east and from the west and will eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the heirs of the kingdom will be cast into utter darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he said to the centurion, Go, and let it be done to you according to your faith. And his servant was healed in that hour. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, if the real miracle in this story is only that Jesus healed a paralyzed man, then this story really should have been a lot shorter. Of the nine verses that it takes to tell this whole story that Flossie memorized for us just now, the miracle part really only happens in the first three verses, and this story really should have ended after verse 7. In those three verses, we hear that Jesus entered a city, and he was immediately greeted by a military official who came and asked Jesus for help for the healing of a paralyzed servant, and Jesus said, okay. And that could have been it. That should have been it. My, my sermon should really be over now. Sorry, who's clapping? All right, that's enough. Just for that, I'm adding 10 more minutes. Here we go. The reality is, there's more to the story than that. More than just the healing of a paralyzed man. More than just another healing story. Just just one of 30 other healing stories in the entire Gospels. Because what we discovered last week in the story of Peter walking on the water is that there is always more to the miracle story than just the surface. More than just the obvious. Because the real miracle in this story 
is not just the presenting issue, the surface issue. There's something much deeper, much more significant, much more important, and frankly, much more relevant to where you and I are today. And thank God for that. Thank God the story doesn't end after the first three verses, because in the remaining five, that's where we discover something, the real miracle in the story, the real connection for you and me. And by the way, what happens in the other five verses of this story is really impressive to Jesus. I mean, impressive in a way that Jesus was rarely impressed in the Gospels. After Jesus agreed to heal the servant, here's the astonishing thing. After Jesus said, okay, I'll heal your paralyzed servant, the crazy thing is, the centurion keeps on talking. Jesus had already agreed to heal the man, but for some reason, the centurion decided to keep on talking to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? There's something that was going on in this centurion, deep within him, that prompted him toward a kind of vulnerable confession that we rarely see in the Gospels. This is what he says, basically. He says, Jesus, Jesus, I I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something about myself. I'm not used to asking for help. In in fact, I'm not used to asking for anything. I'm I'm used to ordering things around. Because you see, Jesus, I've got people that I just order. I've got guys. I've got guys that do everything that I want them to do. I've got a guy who takes care of my equipment. I've got a a guy who polishes my brass. I've got a a guy who stands outside my tent at night and makes sure that I'm safe. I've got a guy who fixes my meals to order. I've got guys who take my military vision and turn them into strategies and plans. I've I've got a hotline to Caesar himself. In fact, whenever I need anything, I just pick up the phone and I talk to Caesar and he gives me everything I need in order to win the battle. Jesus, I've got guys, wonderful guys. But you know, you kind of get the sense in this story that the centurion is not telling Jesus all this just to give him his resume. He's not saying this stuff to Jesus to impress Jesus. We get the sense that what the centurion is really saying to Jesus is this. Jesus, I'm not telling you all this to impress you with my power, but because for the very first time in my life, I'm experiencing a feeling deep down inside that I have never experienced before powerlessness. Jesus, I feel powerless. And I don't know what to do. And all I know at this moment is that the only thing I know to do is to surrender my self-reliance to you. I know, Jesus, I know. It's hard to believe. I mean, by the looks of it, I've got it all together, right, Jesus? I mean, everybody else thinks so. Here I am at the pinnacle of my career. I'm the envy of everyone from my soldiers to my co-workers to my neighbors. People look at me. I walk by and they say, there goes Mr. Self-Reliant. But I look in the mirror. And you know what I see, Jesus? I see someone who's frail. 
and helpless and powerless. And at this very moment, all I know to do is to surrender that self-reliance to you. And remember, Jesus had already said yes to this guy. That's the ironic thing. Jesus had already said, okay, I'll help you. The centurion had already gotten what he'd asked for. And this story should have been over. But the real miracle in this story, the real miracle, is not just that a paralyzed man was able to regain his strength, but that a self-reliant man turned his power over to Jesus. That's the real miracle. And that's your entry point this morning. Because as I look across the sanctuary this morning, and as I envision those who are watching online, I think it would be a safe bet to say that there's not a single one of us here this morning who was a centurion in the Roman army. I mean, I might look like one, but I can assure you, I am not. But all of us, all of us can relate to this guy. We too have worked really hard in our lives to become as self-reliant as we can be. We have studied real hard to earn those degrees. We have worked really hard to advance in our careers. We have been decent and kind to our family and friends in order to raise them to become decent and mature human beings. And on the exterior, all of us try to project success to everyone that sees us go by. We try to conjure up an image of pure self-reliance. We drive nice cars, we keep up our lawns, we wear nice clothes, we hang out in the right social circles, we offer the perfunctory greetings when people pass us by in public. They ask us how we're doing, we say, good, I'm doing fine, I'm doing great. It makes us truthful to some degree. We're not trying to be prideful because it makes us feel like we're doing okay when in the reality is we're just trying to do the best we can. But then crises hit. Something happens. You fill in the blank. You know exactly what I'm talking about. For the centurion, it was a paralyzed servant. That was the crisis. For you, surely it is something else. And that, that's the moment when we realize we have not just one thing to pray for, we have two. We always have two things to pray for. On the surface, there's the presenting issue, there's the crisis itself. We obviously pray for that one. The cancer diagnosis, the wayward child, the, the market crash, the job layoff, the betrayal, the sudden injury, the death of a loved one. There's the presenting issue, the crisis issue. That's always hard, it's never easy, but it's always easy to pray for. You just say, God help me. But you know, if it were just that, then it would just, it would just be like vending machine theology, right? We just pray the right prayers, we ask God for help, God gives us the blessing, and that's all there is to it. It's hard to go through, but it's easy to pray for. But... It's in those real crises moments that we realize there's always a second thing to be praying for if we will simply acknowledge it. Not, not the surface issue, but the spiritual issue, the deeper issue. 
when we realize that when we are in the midst of that crisis and we feel utterly powerless, helpless, that God calls us to surrender everything. God calls us to surrender that self-reliance over to God. You know, there is also something else that is surprising about this centurion. When you think about it, why? Why was he so concerned about his paralyzed servant? I mean, he wasn't asking for healing for himself. He wasn't asking for a miracle for a family member. He wasn't asking for victory in battle. He wasn't asking for something for himself. In fact, it would have been very easy, it should have been very easy, for the centurion to simply say, you know what, it's just a servant. I've had people die under my command before. Next man up. And just call another servant into his place immediately and quickly begin his training. That's what military officials did back in those days. Someone goes down, the next person steps up. There would have been no reason at all for this man to make this kind of request. But you want to know what was really impressive about this man? Is not only did he acknowledge that he had very little power for himself, he chose to use the little power that he had to help someone who was powerless, even though he didn't have to. That with all of this might at his disposal, he still chose to exercise compassion for a powerless person, for a voiceless person, for an oppressed person. He risked his rep reputation as a Roman official going to a Jewish person in Jesus for help. He saw someone under his authority enduring great suffering and he wanted to do everything he could to make sure that that powerless person under his command received the help that he needed. And this man realized it doesn't matter. It does not matter if you have all the power in the world if you don't use it in some way to care for people who are powerless. Just three chapters prior to this, Jesus had just finished preaching one of the greatest sermons he'd ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And here he is, Jesus seeing a man a living embodiment, a flesh and blood sermon illustration of a man who was merciful, begging for mercy. And so I guess it really shouldn't surprise us at this point for Jesus to say to this centurion, look, sir, I'll tell you this. This is the truth. I have rarely seen a faith as impressive as yours. Truly, I tell you, I have not found such a great faith as this one in all of Israel. An impressive faith. That's what this man had. And you know what's ironic when you think about it? It's ironic that this man had an impressive faith when by the world's standards, he had done everything, he had everything, he had all the power you need, all the career advancements to impress other people and the only thing he needed to do to have an impressive faith was to let go of all the stuff that impressed everybody else but Jesus 
He had to surrender all of that. To surrender his own self-reliance and become reliant on Jesus. And he had to think of other people's needs before his own. And when he did that, Jesus was impressed. Shouldn't surprise us. Because that same Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, you just have to lose it. If you want to be first, you just got to be last. If you really want an impressive faith, let go of everything else that impresses other people and turn your self-reliance over to me. You know, in the end of the story, Jesus did heal the man's servant. But you know, by the time we get to the end of the story, the actual healing of the paralyzed servant had almost become a footnote, an afterthought to the story. It became a secondary plot line in this story. Because the real miracle was not a paralyzed man regaining his strength. The real miracle in this story is about a powerful man receiving the grace of God and turning his power over to Jesus. And you know what? That's the same miracle that is available to you today. We're in the middle of a worship series called The Difference That Jesus Makes. And today's story from Matthew suggests that the biggest difference that Jesus can make in your life happens when you choose to offer God all that you are and all that you have and all that you work for and choose to make Jesus the chief operating principle in your life upon which you will base everything you say, everything you think, everything you do, the way you look at the world, the way you relate to other people will now be anchored and fixed on Jesus when you turn your power over to God. And you may think that your life is just way too messed up. You may think that your past may be far too bungled and screwed up and your mind filled with way too much guilt and your heart filled with way too much shame to ever be within the reach of God's love. In fact, in many ways, you might feel like an outsider to Jesus, far too messed up in your life for Jesus to possibly include you within the reach of God's love. Wouldn't blame you. We all feel that way. But here, here's where the real kicker of this story comes. The real, the real clincher of this story, the thing that sets this story apart from most others in the gospel, the thing that's most amazing about this story is this. Jesus not only said to this man, I am impressed with your faith, it's one of only two times in the entire gospel of Matthew where Jesus said to someone, I am really impressed by your faith. The first instance is here with this military official, this centurion. The second instance happens a couple chapters later in Matthew 15, and it's in that story where Jesus meets a woman who herself came for help for someone that she loved, a demon-possessed daughter. And after a brief interplay in which the woman and Jesus went back and forth about whether or not the woman was deserving of God's love, finally Jesus said, I will heal your daughter, and said to this woman, Woman, how great is your faith. This woman, 
And this man in today's story, the only two people in the entire Gospels that impressed Jesus with their faith, want to know what they have in common? They're both foreigners. This man, a Roman, a centurion, by no measure should have gone to Jesus. And Jesus really could have said no to this man on ethnic reasons. The woman in Matthew 15, a Canaanite, an outsider, a foreigner, someone beyond the bounds, beyond the borders, who by any measure should not have gone to Jesus, and Jesus could have gotten away with saying no to this woman. But not only were both of these people recipients of God's power and grace, both of these foreigners had an impressive faith. You know what that means? means that God is always on the side of the outsider. God is always on the side of the outsider. God always sides with the oppressed. God always decides to break through barriers and tear down walls to go after those people that everyone else would rather shun and ignore. And you know what? That surely includes you. That surely includes any of us who would ever feel like we have done far too much to deserve God's punishment and far too little to earn God's favor. It doesn't matter because God always is on the side of the outsider. So for anything that you have done or any aspect of your life that makes you feel like you are on the outside of God's reach and God's love, know this, the healing power of God is available for you. And all it takes is for you to receive it by surrendering your self-reliance over to God and deciding to love others and to love God. And at the very end, the very same words that Jesus said to this centurion are the very same words that God says to you today. Go. It will be done for you as you have believed. Let us pray together. Oh God, we have spent our lives trying to impress. We have done everything we can to climb whatever ladders and to fulfill whatever social expectations people have of us and that we have of ourselves. And you remind us today that none of that matters unless we fully surrender all that we are over to you. God, we confess our waywardness and we ask that you would receive us just as you received this centurion and this Canaanite woman and heal our deeper needs, not just the surface crises, but the part of us that is reluctant to surrender ourselves to you. Oh God, in this room this morning, there are so many stories, so many hurts, so many needs, too various for us to name out loud but we all have this need in common. We are tired of struggling. And we need to surrender. 
Thank you for being on the side of the outsider. Help us to do the same, to meet others who are powerless, who have been pushed to the fringe by the world. Help us to be for them a guiding light, to love them just as you've loved us. And we thank you, God, for your grace that enables us to be in a relationship with you that meets us where we are and carries us forward into the future. For all these things, we are truly grateful. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, let all God's people say.